a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Happy New Year, film fans! Uh, how are you? I hope you're well. I hope you had a, a wonderful, wonderful festive season. Whether that was full of parties, or whether it was really chilled. Um, however you chose to spend your time, I hope you feel ready to step into a new year with positivity, I guess, optimism. Um, it's always kind of nice to have a bit of a restart, isn't it? And kind of encouraged to go, <gasps> deep breath, let's go. So I wish you all the luck. I uh, wish all your dreams come true in this year ahead. And I look forward to sharing with you some wonderful conversations around film and music on this podcast as we continue into a brand new year. Uh, we're so lucky that we've had the chance to share so many great conversations with you, both with lots of well-known names, but also with a lot of names that might not be familiar to you. But for us, it's about really celebrating our love and us as fans of films and music. So that's kind of where it always comes from for soundtrack. And it's not about, we're not critics. We don't want to tell you what you should watch, when you should watch it, what you should think about something. We're film fans. We're fans of the music. We're fans of the films. And that's kind of what we want to share with you is our enthusiasm for it. So... I hope that comes across. Um, now, having chatted to Daniel Craig on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I hope you've had the chance to listen back to that because I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. And thank you for all the lovely response that we've had to that as well. I'm delighted to share my conversation with Ryan Johnson, the writer and director of Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which if you haven't watched yet, I mean, we don't really give away too many spoilers in this, but it is available to watch on Netflix now. So if you were like, oh, Maybe I'll go and watch it first. Just pause us and go and hop onto Netflix and watch it now. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. And Ryan is such a huge lover of music. And we'll hear about his thinking when it came to the sound of this film, both in terms of the needle drops and the score, which was provided by his cousin, Nathan Johnson. And we're going to begin with one of Nathan's cues from the movie. This is Motive and Opportunity.
Hey, Ryan. Hey, Edith. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's good to see you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you. Yeah, last time I saw you was the London, the London Film Festival. Gala <laughs> premiere. Congratulations on the the response the film's had, both, you know, from film fans, but yeah, from awards and all that kind of stuff. You must be thrilled. It's been really fun. It's been fun. That that week when we were in theaters was really fun going around and seeing audiences yeah. join it. That was that was the best. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I loved kind of seeing footage of uh of some of the cast and stuff surprising audiences and stuff as well. It's great. It's lovely to see. Yeah, that. yeah. So that, cool. That, that's what you really yeah, live for. Listen, Ryan, I'm so looking forward to chatting to you um about this. The last time we we spoke about music was for um The Last Jedi. Both these films have got such a big relationship with music, I think. The the titles are a good start, you know, in terms of <laughs> uh, you know, the first one with Amnesiac from Radiohead and then this one with the Beatles. Do you mind talking a little bit about about that and that kind of I guess that decision or that choice that that was going to be the part of the process I guess <laughs> how they inspired it well I guess it's become part of the process I mean it, it yeah with the first one it wasn't um it was never the intention of oh we'll name all of these after after songs but yeah knives out, knives out I I mean I did love the song I also just thought it was a very cool turn of phrase that felt like a good mystery title This one, I thought it'd be fun to continue it on, and I, I uh, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I didn't think that Beatles deep cuts existed. I guess <laughs> as after a fan, all this time, <laughs> I know. I just assumed that everybody knows every Beatles song at this point, maybe because I grew up in such a Beatles centric family. Um, so I was a little surprised when I named it Glass Onion, and and some folks, even when I started like showing the script to people were didn't know what it was so but yeah if 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 this uh, movie alerts anyone to the presence of one of my favorite beatles songs that's i'll take it <laughs> i told you about strawberry fields you know the place where nothing is real well here's another place you can go It's a very brilliant moment within the film as well, where Blackbird features as well. That's, um, That's right, yeah. It's, yeah. Did, did he play it? Did he learn it? 
He did. He knows it. Edward is actually quite a good guitar player. So I think he knew it already and was looking forward to the chance to show off his skills. There was a bit that we cut actually where um in the in the bar where we have like the flashbacks, we wanted to show like a moment where uh Miles and Andy, Janelle and Edward's characters were get were like in their good place. And so we have footage of um, Janelle singing and Edward playing guitar of a Moon Moon Age Daydream, the Bowie song. Oh and we wow! Full performance of it by the two of them, while Kate and uh, Catherine like, go go dance in the foreground. <laughs> and so that's uh, yeah, it didn't make the final cut, but uh, it was a pretty magical night in a basement bar in Belgrade. <laughs> Wow. Surely you need to release that as a Christmas gift to your fans in some way, shape or form as a a short or something. (laughs) We should probably just release them. Yeah, we probably should, I guess. (laughs) Just the way that you use music, I think, is is wonderful. And also the kind of cross, also what it tells us about characters, I think, you know, across both these films. And I think that, you know, with Daniel's character in particular, where we see him enjoy music, choose mm-hmm. to listen to music at different moments you know back in the first film when it's the um the losing my mind or whether it's you know that that kind of thing I think this it's really clever and so I, I just wanted to if you don't mind talking a little bit about when you are writing the script I don't know you, you you're obviously thinking about where music lives within these characters or around these characters and how it can sit with them or the relationship right. they have with it in a way well, I think it, it's probably just a function of me listening to music while I'm in the process of writing and making it. And I keep a running playlist going, and inevitably, it's just the stuff I'm enjoying listening to while um, making it, and then a lot of it ends up in the movie. Um, mm. I think that happens really naturally. Like I was, ju- I did just happen to be listening to a ton of Follies when I was making writing knives out the first one and so it kind of seeped in there as blanc listening listening to it the sun comes up i think about you the coffee cup i think about you i want you so it's like i'm losing my mind The morning ends, I think about you, I talk to friends, I think about you, and do they know, it's like I'm losing my mind, all afternoon, doing every little chore. The thought of you stays bright Sometimes I stand in the middle of the floor Not going left, not going right And a lot of the needle drops in Glass Onion were were things that just ended up on my playlist. There's a great uh, cover of um, Country Roads by Toots and the males, which is just yeah. a fantastic track. And that that had been something actually Daniel had given me a mix that had 
uh, Pressure Drop, another great Toots song on there. And through yeah. that, I discovered that album and just became obsessed with that track. And it ended up being the centerpiece of like a big, a big song in it. So I think it more than anything, it's me just becoming obsessed with, uh, you know, different tracks. And so they end up working their way into the into the weave of the whole thing. And the use of that Bach piece, you know, in terms of when the when the puzzle when the puzzle's being kind of almost the puzzle's a character at this moment in the, you know, in, yeah. in, in the film and the soundtrack to this Bach piece. Yeah. Is that a, was that a similar thing in terms of I mean, I, I don't know how you write, how you start to write a, a murder mystery. You know, what's the kind of the starting point that kind of feeds out to everything and stuff. And so I wondered if whether that was when you were trying yeah. to work out the kind of puzzle idea, if that was something you were listening to. Well, yeah, I mean, that's ex- you hit it exactly on the head. I mean, actually, the Bach piece and the notion of a fugue structure is exactly where I started with this. That was and the beginning point was just structurally the idea if you could do this um very intentional structural gambit with the entire movie where you do a fugue-like structure with it um, and get away with that with audiences, um, keep them involved. Uh, And so it all kind of started with the idea of a fugue structure and wanting to kind of state that very clearly up front and play off Mm. of that. It it was actually, I mean, Nathan, my composer and my cousin, he, uh, I think he very much wanted to write a fugue. He got all excited and started writing. And I felt like I broke his heart a little when I said, no, it, it kind of it kind of has to be this really recognizable, the most recognizable fugue of all time, Bach's little fugue in G minor. It needs to be something that Yo-Yo Ma will recognize. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, felt bad. I felt bad though. I think Nathan had composed a fugue already. He was very excited about it. <laughs>
Maybe that can be the kind of underscore to the bar scene with the sing-along with Dunell in terms of leading into it. There we go. <laughs> Keep we everybody happy. And make our own movie. <laughs> here, just to... <laughs> but Nathan's job's incredible because, you know, he has to, as a composer across these films, he, there has to be a, there has to be a link in some way, you know, there has to be a some kind of textural familiarity to to what he creates. But then also they are such different films. And Benoit's a different man in this, you know, in terms of he's 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 much more clean shaven and all that. I don't know. There's he's almost a bit more comfortable with himself in a way, I feel, in this film. But mm. but with Nathan's job and how that has to also fit with it within all these needle drops and these pieces of existing music and and things as well and the and the location it's it's not a it's not an easy ask but I think what he does is incredible. What were the conversations you had with regards to how you saw the score and the link between the two films with the score? Yeah, I think we we started out because Nathan, um, uh, I mean, one of the benefits of, of us you know being so close personally is that he gets involved very very early and so even when i'm just writing it and just starting to talk about it i'll be having those conversations with him about what it's shaping up to be so um i think the roots of of the score were all were largely in tone and how what was exciting about making this movie was specifically not doing a continuation or an extension of the first movie but planting very big flags for the audience that this was going to be a completely different ride, which in my mind harkens back to what Agatha Christie did with her books. So I think that was, and Nathan was so excited about that. Um, and so instead of kind of the, you know, the very kind of sharp string uh, based chamber music, almost of the first one, we looked at kind of big orchestral lush scores of kind of the epics of, uh, you know, from like the 60s.
Um, there's an amazing piece of music uh, Nina Rhoda did that is the main theme for the Death on the Nile, the version with Peter Ustinoff. Mm-hmm. And it's this it's very specific, it's this big, lush, kind of exotic throwback score score. Uh, and it's so um it has it feels grand and romantic but it also has an element of sort of exotic darkness to it and and uh it just it felt it it that felt like a really good target to put up on the wall Yeah, and so it, then it was just a process of kind of figuring out the themes, and it was less so with with these movies. It tends to be less so like the Peter and the Wolf thing of giving each character a theme. Although Nathan does that a little, you have to simplify that a little bit just because there are so many characters. And those characters as well. That was something I wanted to talk to you about because you know the cast, the casting in both these films is is fantastic. And you go, oh, you know, after the first one, you're going to okay, how do we, how do you top that sort of thing? And then you kind of watch this and and because it's a completely different beast, but there also feels like, I don't know if it's, if you wrote specifically with people in mind, because it feels that I'm not saying they're bringing themselves to these roles, but there is a, there is a kind of smidgen of the real people in these characters in a way, kind of almost like caricature of that person in a way. You can't imagine anybody else. I mean, I got so much joy speaking to Dave Batista at the, at the premiere in London about this character and how much fun he had with it and and kind of and the joy of of the collaboration that he had with you on this as well and so I, was, I wondered yeah. if you if you wrote specifically with this cast in mind for those roles or even if there was a couple in particular that were written for specifically yeah you know I didn't I, I try wow. I try, yeah I try not to do that for a lot of reasons um, I mean pri- primarily because. I've learned you'll if you write for someone specifically and they're not available, then you have a yeah. broken heart. But but also <laughs> I just I I feel like it's more fair to the actors to just write the characters. But then once I cast the parts, um, it's not so much you know it's a little bit, but it's not so much that I'm looking for people who are exactly who reflect exactly the parts. It's a little bit the opposite that when I bring people into the process, I then want to collaborate with them and and bring the I want to go with the grain of natural grain of the wood I want to I want them to bring themselves to the part and help that fill it and inform it Um, and give them the freedom to do that and give them the space to kind of play and to work with Jenny Egan our costume designer and to and to put themselves into it you know Um, and to, to me if they find their way towards who this person is through all those elements I know it's going to be much more interesting than if I try and dictate exactly how to play it so yeah um that 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 it makes me happy to for you to say that because that's something that 
that's um, a kind of a joyous part of the process for me is watching each of the actors bring themselves oh, to these. Yeah, you just see the, the joy in the performances. Like every, you know, Ed Edward as well, and the kind of you know a character we've never seen him play, and Kate just having the best time. Like, and she's in the best playground ever. Just kind of <laughs> give give me all the toys and all the hats, and let uh, me have as much fun as I can. Oh my god! I mean, with both of them, and I mean with Kate to to see she's such an intelligent comic performer. She's mm. just got chops for miles, and it felt very much like <laughs> like letting a thoroughbred loose on an empty track, <laughs> just letting them run. It felt it felt like it was pretty amazing um, watching her show up every day and just <laughs> just really really sink her teeth into every scene. <laughs> I really saw elements of her mom in this performance. I really saw like bits yeah. of Private Benjamin and stuff like that in there. I feel like I don't Absolutely. know. I feel like it's in the DNA. Do you know what I mean? But I just feel like it, you gave yeah. her that opportunity to kind of really go there with with that side of it. I can I can absolutely absolutely see that. Her mom was at the LA premiere, and it was so much fun because she was a few rows behind me, and I just heard her constant <laughs> laughter. It was such a blast. It was amazing. Which I think in uh, uh yeah yeah in Lo was it in London that uh that Grace Jones was there with uh, yeah. Janelle, yeah. I was a few rows behind her. Grace Jones was cracking the fuck up during the entire <laughs> thing. She was the best audience. I, I, I told Janelle I want Grace Jones at every single <laughs> screening I ever do. <laughs> she it was so great. Made me very happy. But I can also, I mean, Diane Cannon in in The Last of Sheila, which is a movie that I really love. Um, not like Kate was specifically like you know channeling her or something. Yeah. But it, it, it makes me happy that it it reminds me of that as well, kids' performance. And with regards to um, Benoit and Daniel, you know, and seeing the joy again in in him and how much he he gets from this character and getting to kind of again play. What's the collaboration like between the two of you with regards to you know from that first film to this film and the journey that that character's been on? Because you we get to learn little bits about him and stuff more about him, but. I don't know. There's a there's a wonderful flamboyance to the character in this film in particular. But how much? Yeah. yeah what's the collaboration like with you and Daniel in terms of the character and and where he's going? And I mean, we don't really you know discuss it before I write. I kind of you know maybe we'll have like vague discussions, but I'll I'll go off and write, and the conversation really starts when I give him the script and yeah. he's figuring out how to play it. And and this one was quite fun because Blanc has a very different function than in the first one i think that's the other thing that to me is kind of exciting about the partnership with daniel is it in a way it's not about um for new for, for both of us it's not about building kind of his character it's not yeah. about building and a grand arc of his character or a mythology of his character it really is what is you know we know who we have a sense of who blanc is and then it really is what is his function in each one of these mysteries and each one of these stories? And he kind of reveals himself through his function as the detective in this, in these mysteries. And he has a very different function than this one. than the last one he's, you know, we're kind of coming into it through his eyes. He's playing a bit more of a game in the first half of the movie, which we kind of find out why in the second mm -hmm. half. And uh, he's, uh, he's having to be a much more social animal in this one in order to solve the case. 
and he's having to kind of uh <laughs> yes i think he also it is fun that he's been kind of losing his mind in lockdown and he gets he does get excited that he gets to dress up and <laughs> use his wardrobe in this so yeah yeah what a wardrobe oh oh my um, god god yeah i can't pull that off yeah yeah i know you need yeah. to be dan Craig to pull off those high-waisted trousers yeah or the the blue striped <laughs> two-piece it's just like yeah definitely oh. like, yeah <laughs> I want people to have the experience for the, of the film of, you know, of experiencing it. So I, I'm really cautious about wanting to talk about too much detail about yeah. things that are, that will give anything away. But there's been a few things said about there's brilliant, beautiful scene uh, with him in the bathtub where he's playing. He's got, he's got a zoom. Oh, yeah, a that's zoom. Fine. I've been, I've been talking about that. Yeah. That's, that's fine. That's but, okay. Yeah. With, the, with the zoom on the go with, with Sondheim, which is a lovely through line from that first film, you know, from that, that track we were talking about. Um, yeah. And also Angela Lansbury as well, you know, it's just, um, you know, and it's so sad to think that neither of them are, are, are with us anymore sort of thing. But what a lovely, a lovely tribute to be in your film together in this scene, in the way that you celebrate this kind of genre as well. It's it's brilliant. How did you how did you get them both? Did you just send in the script and they were up for it or? Yeah, we just I mean, it, we I kind of, you know, when I thought of the idea for the Zoom call, I was I just thought, OK, what's the God list of people will never get but why the hell not ask let's give it a shot and <laughs> they were at the top of it and and sondheim we we just you know we used some like mutual connections to kind of get word to sondheim and he had seen the first film and enjoyed it and so he was game and before i knew it i was on a zoom call with stephen sondheim recording his lines it was just absurd um and uh and yeah <laughs> and i think he yeah, he. Uh, I was trying to explain to him the rules of the game Among Us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Angela had no idea, had no interest at all in the rules of Among Us. She was very sweet, but she was like, "I don't even want to know. Just let's. I'll just do the lines." <laughs> but uh, I mean, with both of them, I mean, Sondheim musically, I, I, you know, I'm actually in New York. I just saw the new Into the Woods, which was oh wow. So it's incredible such an amazing amazing uh production of it but um but i got i'm a musical theater kid so um from high school so sondheim i mean his work has meant so much to me but he also has roots in this genre with puzzle solving and with his history with the genre and yeah the last of sheila so i mean for a lot of reasons a lot of reasons it meant a lot and and i'm just happy I i got to meet them both and you know tell them what their work meant to me oh man that's so beautiful right that's lovely what a lovely thing to been able to do yeah is this is this been a genre that's always been you've always been a fan of you know in terms of murder mystery but you, you mentioned Agatha Christie earlier as well and stuff has it always been something you've been a fan of yeah yeah I mean really always I mean you know I kind of when I was a kid like the first like adult book I like pulled off my parents shelf was was a Poirot novel and uh and also like even more than that remembering those movies that were being made when i was a kid and sitting around with the family and watching peter ustinov as poirot and death on the nile or finney mm-hmm. as poirot and 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 looking around and kind of feeling as a kid like i was watching something very adult but was still enjoying it and the whole family around me everyone enjoying it like that's that as much as anything else is what i kind of set out to channel with these movies is is just remembering the the kind of inclusive joyous fun of 
the all-star cast murder mystery <laughs> spectacle. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, but, but the forum itself, I mean, yeah, I've been reading Christie all my life. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's something that I don't know, it, it has always been in the back of my head as something that would be fun to do. Where do you start when you're, you know, with, with, with each of these films, what, what has been the starting point? Well, it, I mean, it's a little, it's always a little different for each one. I mean, I, I have this here cause I'm working on the third movie now. I I have, I just <gasps> work in the notebooks and there's nothing it's scribbled. that's it that's the third that's the third film right there oh my god uh, my, my totally illegible <laughs> scribbles yes you're welcome to try and just <laughs> I mean, uh yeah but yeah someone was joking like oh don't leave that in a cab and i said if someone found this they would say oh no a six-year-old lost their notebook <laughs> <laughs> But I start. I, I am a really structural writer. I've I've always been, and so I mm-hmm. I spend the first ninety percent of the process just working in these little notebooks, working on working on the story and figuring out breaking the story. And I I I need to do it kind of in the nonlinear, like hopping around and drawing like diagrams of the whole thing. And and um, I I I find I get trapped if I sit down and start typing too soon i actually the very last part of the process is actually sitting down and typing out the script but i i plan 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 basically wow do you have a plan mm. on how many knives out mysteries you want to do no no not at all i mean i i think for daniel and i we both kind of feel like we have no interest in stopping at this point and and the only thing is you know as long as as long as we feel that we're challenging ourselves and the audience, then hopefully with every new one, you know, as as long as we feel that um, we're not just turning the crank and making another one, and as long as we're enjoying it, as long as we're having fun, you know, I, I think that's that's the key to the whole thing. As long as we're enjoying it, why stop? <laughs> so, but the instant either of us start feeling like it's a chore or it's something that we're you know uh, shackled to, then we'll yeah. We have the nice luxury of just it, it. We it's totally our thing, so we can walk away whenever it, it starts feeling stale. I think it's quite amazing what you've been able to do with even these two films because they are they're the same but different. I, I, and I mean that as, as a massive compliment in terms of they are completely different things yeah. in terms of the aesthetics, the all of that sort of thing. But there's a there they're obviously you know you have this thread of his character through them and stuff. Which is not an easy thing to do in terms of, you know, with a lot of the kind of, you know, when I, when you think of like when when I, I loved watching, you know, Murder She Wrote and Columbo kind of growing up and yeah. and you know you kind of it was it was the same thing but just a different story almost in a way. But this is, yeah. it's much more than that. It's not just the same but a different story. It's everything about it's different, and yeah. it's lovely because yeah. the characters move. The character is evolving as well. You know, him as a character is evolving as well. Um, is that yeah. an important thing for you in a way that it's not just like the same but different? Oh, that's the most important thing. I mean, that's the that's <laughs> the thing. That's the reason why. I mean, look, I, you know, I, I kind of assumed that I would do something completely different before I made the next Benoit Blanc movie. And every time I started thinking about other ideas, I was drawn back to <laughs> what could the next mystery be? And the reason it's exciting, though, is exactly the challenge of what you're describing. You know, the notion of what's a completely different mode that we can work in? What's a new purpose? What's a new... Having the familiar base of this character and knowing there's an appetite for it and within that kind of safety net, being able to take a wild new swing at something that feels... 
incredibly exciting. So yeah, you described it perfectly. That's that's exactly kind of the appeal of it right now for me. And it's like as fans as well. I mean, I find myself as well, like having my own like notebook of going who I would want to see in the next <laughs> film. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like, okay, a ski resort. And I want to see, you know, it's kind of. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because you kind of, because it, it, I mean, the, the possibilities are, are, are endless, really. Really are. Um, it's really exciting. And you think about literally Agatha Christie was writing books her entire life and was always doing, hitting something new. It really, there's so many different places it can go. And also it's thrilling the notion of, you know, the, the, the fact that these are set in modern day, you know, America for the most part, that opens up an entire realm of things that we've never seen in whodunits before. So yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. Totally, because I think that that was such a brilliant part of the narrative in this in in Glass Onion was the whole kind of, you know, that Edward Norton character and kind of what he stood for and, right. uh, you know, and, and all those things that were on his wall and his house. I mean, there's so many kind of <laughs> things to kind of talk about once people have seen the film, you know, in terms of all these Easter yeah. eggs and things that are just up there that, you know, in your second and third view of it, you're going, oh, my God, I didn't see that. Or, you know, it's just... It's just yeah. the thing, it just keeps giving. There's just so much texture to it in terms of, oh yeah. my God, he's that kind of guy and all this kind of, it's, it's just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like if Christy was writing today, she would she would have tech billionaires and YouTube influencers and, you know, <laughs> she, she would absolutely have all these people. I mean, she when she was writing, she was writing to her culture. She, was, she wasn't writing period pieces. She was writing very much you know, modern types who, who reflected the society around her. And and that was kind of the basis of all this is, is why aren't we doing that now with this genre? What is next? Is, is the next film, what's next for you in the same way that you've been just pulled, you know, with the second film, you try to do something else, but pull back to it? That's it, man. Yeah. I'm just starting to yes. fish right now for ideas. I'm just starting to put it together. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully after New Year's, I'll be able to start like properly writing and, and get it together. But it's, it's, Again, it's like I'm just in this mode where there's nothing more exciting to me than than making these movies. So yeah. it, it was really good. <laughs> you got some playlists together already. Uh, I'm just started one. Yeah. But I usually like, you know, it finds its it finds its feet. Usually when I just start a new one, there's kind of some overhang from the stuff I was listening to before. So I feel like it'll be over the next few months I start to shed the stuff I was listening to and build a new a new group of, of influences yeah. and stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I do have the playlist started up though. So yeah, great. <laughs> I love the um the, I mean Nat King Cole's Mona Lisa as well. That's just the most oh yeah, beautiful well, that was song fun. ever. Uh, that was fun because we you know that that's I will avoid spoilers, but that's over a slow motion sequence at the end, and so we would shoot it slow motion yeah we would shoot it running at the high frame rate and then the whole cast would gather around to watch it back at the super slow motion speed and i would play mona lisa on my phone and put it on top of the monitor so we could all see it playing to that song live on set it was really fun (laughs) oh that's amazing thank you for that insight that's awesome um ryan we've run out of time and it's it's a real treat i'm so thank you so much for allowing me to kind of just pick apart it's so great and i just had such such a great time with this film again it really really was absolutely brilliant thank um, you i always thank you. i always i really enjoy talking to you about the movies so and anytime thank you so thanks, much thanks ryan take care stay bye. safe and i'll see you soon you too. Bye-bye. Take care. bye mona lisa mona lisa men have named you
like the lady with the mystic smile Is it only cause you're lonely they have blamed you For that Mona Lisa strangeness in your smile Do you smile to tempt a lover, Mona Lisa? Or is this your way to hide a broken heart? Many dreams have been brought to your doorstep. They just lie there and they die there. Are you warm? Are you real, Mona Lisa? Just a cold and lonely, lovely work of art. From the soundtrack to Glass Onion, that's Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, by Nat King Cole, who clearly sings it a gazillion times better than I do. Uh, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Ryan Johnson. My huge thanks to Ryan for taking the time to talk to us. Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, as I said, is streaming on Netflix now, as is the original film. Uh, and I was lucky enough, as I said, to speak to Daniel Craig about the film. And you can find that interview uh, at edithbowman.com, along with every single other episode of the podcast. And if you want to watch that interview uh, in a slightly different form, it is up on our YouTube channel. So just search for Soundtracking with Edith Bowman on YouTube and you will find it. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do send your emails in to info at edithbowman.com. Now, we are going to be running a competition on the next episode of the podcast. We might uh, run the question on socials ahead of time. We're just waiting on the film company giving us the thumbs up on the question that we set. So it's for an exclusive screening of The Fablemans that's coming up. So you and the guest will be... Uh, invited along to London to attend an exclusive screening which may well be attended by some special guests. So make sure you are following us, as I said, on our socials, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Soundtracking UK. Uh, we'll either drop the question on there or on the next episode of the podcast, which features none other than the wonderful David Kajanich, who is a writer and he's worked with Luca Guadagnino on a number of projects, most recently Bones and all, amongst many other things. So it's so interesting. I really enjoyed my conversation with Christy Wilson-Cairns a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about writing. So we're thrilled to be joined by another brilliant creative mind in the world of writing, David Kajanich, next week's guest on Soundtracking. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>